Hello and welcome to another episode of Station Station. I am your host, Alan Waima. Today I'm with, uh, again, we said email, or email, many different ways to say your name. Perfect. And you'll, you'll say your own last name for me because it's way out there for me. Uh, he is the creator of Igui and a very friendly guy and a guy who is very difficult to get a hold of, but when he wants to get a hold of you, he can definitely find you, right? So um, it's an interesting story about how we actually got talking. But anyways, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Why don't you say your full name? for us okay i'm emil anderfeld but uh yeah you just call me emil i'm not gonna hold you to to pronounce my weird swedish name it's a weird name even in sweden it's a weird even in sweden it's a weird name like we're 20 people called anderfeld uh was my grandfather and his cousins that came up with a name so they just made up their own surname well my my grandfather's father was called Anst, and they wanted to create a surname uh honoring his his name after he died and the best thing they could do was Anderfeld. that's how the story goes interesting okay i i hear a lot of hyphenated names i don't think i hear a lot of people kind of saying i want to honor my my uh, you know relative and change my surname right that's very interesting yeah i guess it's kind of rare but um yeah uh but yeah why, why don't we kind of talk a little bit more about your your background right because i know you you definitely were so maybe we'll just kind of talk a little bit about you know i did see you post on reddit I messaged you, you replied back, and then I asked you, do you want to come on the show? And then you disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to the, we'll get to the, we'll get, we'll get to the, we'll get to the next part, which is somebody. Uh, so if you guys are ever interested, there is a discord for this podcast. Um, I don't know how to actually get to it, but anyways, there's a discord for this podcast. Check it out. Join it. If you want to guys go on chat, if you want to come on the show, et cetera. Anyways, somebody asked for me to bring you on the show and I replied back. Oh, I did. I tried to ask him, but he disappeared. So maybe he doesn't want to come on because there are some people that do that. And that's that's OK. And then all of a sudden you messaged me directly, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, someone uh, saw that on, on your Discord, I guess, or probably the person who reminded you. And uh, it's like, hey, he said he would to ask you. And like, what? Where? And I like check my Twitter DMs. I check my my Discord. I check my emails like, no, no, he hasn't. I uh, just, I don't know, I'm not that much in like a big Reddit user. So I think I just missed uh, your message there. And I'm really sorry for it because I'm a, yeah, I'm a fan of your podcast and I'm really happy to be on here. Oh, it's glad to hear that you're a fan because I'm a fan of your work, man. I, I like, that's the one thing, like I've been super into GUIs uh, because like, I don't know, I mean, that's the stuff that people play with, right? You can't do console apps all your whole life. And I've been trying to follow, well, before I was following the are we GUI yet, .rs and um mm-hmm. And I'm trying to figure out like what would be a good GUI. Like if I were to do a 100% Rust pro, uh, 100% Rust program and make a GUI out of it, what would I use? Um, 60 FPS is is interesting. The Slint uh, eGUI is also extremely interesting. Um, the the demo that you guys have is pretty cool. Uh, Tori is interesting, but I think a little bit that one's actually running some kind of HTML thing. I think too, right? It's quite different. Yeah, I think it's like an electron killer. Yeah. Ice is also interesting to me because I do love Elm. I really love Elm. I'm a functional programming kind of guy, and uh, I've played with Elm before, which is quite interesting. I don't know. There, there isn't anybody who's really like sticking out, but I think Igui is something that's super interesting. And also, I am Gui, right? Or is that Ingui? I don't know how you say that. I M G U I. Yeah. But that one is is a mix of Rust and C, right? Yeah, it's a wrapper around the C library called Dear Imgui. Everyone just called Imgui, but uh, yeah. It's uh, it's a very popular C++ library, and it was the main inspiration for Igui. So I mean, I mean, maybe I should just start there. So why don't we start before that? Why don't we start like, okay. you know, who, you know, who are you? How'd you get into programming to begin with? Why don't we start from there and work our way up? I think that's this must be something interesting in there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm I'm uh, from Sweden, Stockholm, Sweden, and uh, I think I was about 15 when I fell in love with programming. I had like a course in C++ at uh, I guess, Swedish high school. Um, and it was like love at first sight because I could you know, build things with, with my fingers, uh, with my fingertips uh, using math. Like, the, like this, this is for me. Um, so so I, I have to ask, you're in Stockholm, Sweden, but you don't do Erlang. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Erlang is very huge in Stockholm, right? Uh, well, I, I guess, I guess. I mean, it's, it has Swedish roots for sure. Like it's from, from the company, Ericsson, Swedish company. Um, but no, for me, it was C++, and I, I really wanted to get into games. 
like very quickly because I love visual things. Like I want to program visual things like a lot of people, right? Um, so I studied computing science uh, for five years here in, in Sweden, uh, north of Sweden. Um, and then I, yeah, I, I did this uh, 2D physics uh, sandbox thing as my master thesis. Um, and I worked with, that's called FUN, P-H-U-N. Uh, and that, that took off a lot, actually. It's like, uh, it's, a two, it's a fun physics sandbox where you can you know, draw shapes and just make them come alive. And it kind of went viral. So I, that became my job for the next five years, building that. So it's kind of building a 2D game engine, basically. Um, it was really fun, but uh, I moved along around in a lot of different areas. Like I, I worked at another, like two game companies here in Stockholm, um, Arrowhead and Embark Game Studios. I worked with 3D scanning, which was really cool, uh, like doing like low level or uh, different, doing like 3D reconstructions from point clouds, uh, really fun stuff. I also worked with cybersecurity before. So I've done a lot of different things, but what I really love is, you know, 3d visual programming things so so it was actually what what um like from the games game programming that i got into immediate mode GUIs, which is you know the thing that i love now and, and put into eGUI. so i um maybe i can get back a bit later to what that is but um that, i guess that's like the short whirlwind tour of my who i am i I, mostly my career has been C++, but 2014, I, I found out about Rust for the first time. And like most people, got a bit scared of it first, uh, especially back in 2014. It was really weird programming language. It has like the ampersand for, for uh, I think it was reference counted pointers, and it had like the tilde for, for uh, garbage collected pointers and stuff like that. But uh, after a couple of years, it started to settle down into something more sane. Um, and yeah, for me, I like Rust is, is really the future now. I can never see myself go back to, to C++ now. So I, uh, yeah, I found this when I was programming games, I found this great library, Dear Imgui, which is like the simplest way to write a GUI in C++. Um, and it's so much simpler than anything else that is just hard not to love it. And it's really big in the games communities. Like it's built by a, by a person who works in the games com uh, community and uh, it's built a lot for game engines. And uh, it's really the main inspiration for Igui. And, and so it's worth talking about it alone because it's kind of a new paradigm in, in, in GUI frameworks. So you know, I've written GUIs before from scratch, I've reused libraries like uh, Qt, Qt and you know, Java, Swing and stuff like that back in the day as well. And, then, and they all are kind of hideous because there's so much code you need to write just to get you know, a few buttons on the screen. Um, and these kind of the classic GUI libraries are, uh, are called retained mode GUI libraries because you, you know, create buttons, you create windows and so on, you add buttons to the window. And then that state is retained. And so if you want to remove a button, you, you call window.remove and give the button handle to that window and so on. Uh, so you kind of build this GUI as, as a state. But, but uh, like 20 years ago, I think it was K Casey Muratori, who's uh, famous from handmade hero like if you, if you have any uh game fans in the in the podcast then you may have heard of casey Muratori. he's he's kind of um works in the game industry in uh, seattle and he he came up with this immediate mode idea for for a gui library and it's called immediate because you if you say like you make a button for your ui and it immediately gets painted and it immediately runs the logic for that button and then it vanishes and this is the, the cool part of it. So you can write like if button dot clicked, then you know, react to the button click. And what happens there is the UI code will figure out where to where that button should go based on the layout code. Uh, it will check if there's a click in that rectangle. And if so, return true that that button was clicked. And uh, there's no nothing to be stored. There's no button to be stored because whenever you want to 
repaint the UI, you just run all the UI code again. So this is like an idea from, from uh, game programming. Like in, in all games, you run, you know, you render everything probably 60 times per second uh, or whatever your display rate is. So the idea from Edit Mode GUI is like, why don't we do that to all, with all GUIs? Like, why not? Um, and that creates you know, a huge simplification for, for how to actually use a GUI library because it gets rid of all, all those callbacks that you're so used to if you write GUI code, right? You add your on-click handlers and everything, and then that calls some code far away, and you get a lot of tangled state or entangled state. And uh, immediate mode just cuts that all away. And it's just a breath of fresh air. Like when I started using, so, so Casey Moratori, I think he mentioned this around 2001, 2002. There's a video of him talking about it. And a few years later, um, a guy called Omar, I forget his second name, he created this Dear Imgui library in C++, which is now like the go-to library for any game studio who wants to do dev tools, but also the go-to tool for a lot of companies that just want to do dev tools in general. Like if you're a computer vision company, maybe you you use Dear Imgui to create your own in, in-house tools because it's really a tool that is... Now, it's a nice to build GUIs in it. Like, instead of being a struggle to build a GUI, it's so easy. Like, a button is one line of code. And, yeah, so when I fell in love with Rust, I knew, like, okay, I, I want this library, but for Rust, but there isn't that library for Rust, so I'll have, I'll have to build it. So that's, uh, that's the inception of eGUI. I mean, where do you even start off with something like this? I mean, it seems very complicated because you have to kind of, probably first take a look around to see what, like kind of how small is your Lego have to be, right? Because you have to really kind of start building up things. You basically start yak shaving, no? Well, I had, I had the inspiration from, from uh, the success, 16 library theory uh, in GUI. And I, yeah, I took a lot of inspiration from that, but I also struggled a lot, you know, to adapt it to a Rust syntax. Now, luckily, I think immediate mode works really well for Rust. Or rather, I should say, retain mode works really badly for us because all these callbacks you're used to from from GUI libraries, you know, in, in Rust they create a lot of lifetime issues. Like you have an on-click callback and you want to modify some state. Well, that callback can take a reference to that state. Well, then you have a lifetime issue, or you need to box it, put it behind a mutex, or something like that. Um, so a lot of Rust GUI libraries try to solve this in different ways. A lot of them resort to message passing, so you so like when you click a button, you get a message of a button click type, and then you handle that later on. But uh, you know that creates a lot of uh, say air <laughs> in your code. Like you have your your uh, code for actually creating button in one place, and the code for handling the button is uh, somewhere far below, and then the code for defining the messages passed between them is in a third place. Um, but immediate mode, on the other hand, works really well with Rust because well, there's no callbacks. And so there's no lifetime issues. Um, but yeah, where do I start when I created a GUI library? Yeah, I started from the bottom up. So I knew from the very beginning, I really wanted this to work on the web. Like I think WebAssembly is one of the most exciting technologies for a long, long time. And Rust is so good for it. So I wanted to create a GUI library that worked on the web and natively. So I started with web. So I think first prototype I, I hacked up on a train ride, um, and it was, um, you know, painting using the the two D canvas of of uh, a web a web canvas. So I had painting text and and boxes basically using that, and then I had a small Rust program compiled to Wasm that did a logic of the GUI. So, so the rendering was done in JavaScript, but the, all the logic was in Rust. And then I started from there and started like figuring out what's a good syntax, what's a good Rusty syntax for for immediate mode GUI. Um, and then I also started shifting from this canvas rendering to WebGL rendering. So pretty quickly, eGUI became completely rendered using. Uh, WebGL on the web. So it runs really quickly, right? And that's very important when you have an immediate mode GUI library that, you know, 
renders 60 times per second if, if things are happening on screen. And so it needs to be really quick. It needs to be fast, like a, like a game is fast. But uh, so that's, that's very important. And, uh, and I think eagerly does a pretty good job of that. Um, it should also be like noted, like the design of eagerly is really interesting because I completely separated backend from, from the library code. So eagerly is a library. It actually doesn't render at all. Uh, eagerly outputs triangles and then whatever your backend is renders those triangles. So if you're running on web, yeah, those triangles are rendered using WebGL. If you run, the, run locally using the eGUI framework called eFrame, then it renders with uh, OpenGL using the Glow library, a uh, really good Rust library for OpenGL bindings. But there's also plenty of integrations of eGUI into many other different backends, like they're for, for uh, game engines like Bevy and Amnestist and Godot and so on. There's also integrations for a lot of you know, WGPU and Volcano and other rendering backends uh, written in Rust as well. So eGUI was really designed from the beginning as well to, to run anywhere, like it's super portable. So eGUI, the library has no system dependencies. Like it doesn't read anything from the operating system, doesn't read any files, doesn't do any input even. Inputs are passed to it from whatever the integration is. And then it returns a bunch of triangles to show on screen. Uh, and this is, this is taken, that, that design is taken directly from the RMGUI. I think it's a, it's a really interesting way to, to like cut off your library from the rest of, uh, you know, the app system, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. I was just taking a look at some of the sample code you have, uh, at least in the readme, right? It looks pretty straightforward. Like I'm surprised you're not there like wrap this thing with like wrap your variables with something to make sure that if you don't have two inputs being pushed at the same time, you won't mess something up like there's there's not this going to ever be this kind of problem no that's, this is the beauty with the immediate mode so for instance you can like as i said a button is just like if ui dot button and then the text that goes on it dot clicked and then you can write your response right there um and a text edit you pass it uh, like if you want to edit some text in ui you you uh just pass in a mutable reference to a string and eGUI will take that string, render it on screen, check if there's any keyboard inputs, and if so, edit that string, and then you get it, pass it back to you. So that's, that string is never stored anywhere in eGUI from frame to frame. It's just, you know, everything is transient. It's immediate. Um, same with a slider for a value. You pass in a, a mutable reference to your float or your F32, whatever it is. And if, you, if the slider is being dragged, it's being modified, and then your state has been modified. But there's no syncing of state between, you know, your application state and eGUI state. It's just borrowed to eGUI and then passed straight back. This means that there's there can be no state clashes or state uh, inconsistencies. So this is a classic problem of retained UIs as well, like where the application state and the front end or the ui actually get out of sync so like you let's say we can come up with an example you click the submit button and it starts changing the application state and then that's supposed to remove some buttons from the ui and replace it with some other buttons but you forgot to remove some of the buttons and just added some new buttons so something you can see this in in battle design uis where like the the state does not really say the the GUI state is not consistent with the application state. So there may be like buttons that are that should be disabled that are not disabled or visible that shouldn't be visible and so on. And this gets removed in the immediate mode because there's there's only your app app state. And the the UI rendering code just immediately renders what your app state looks right right now. Um so yeah, it, it creates this really easy to read and write UI code. Um, it's not without its drawbacks, by the way, like the immediate mode is not perfect, but it does make it so much easier to create a UI. So that's really the goal of eGUI is to be the easiest to use GUI library. Uh, not necessarily the most powerful, but the one that is most easy to use, most easy to get started with. Still trying to wrap my head about what exactly is immediate mode. It's a little bit difficult for me to understand. Yeah, yeah, I understand it. This is 
it's very difficult to, it's surprisingly difficult to explain and understand. But once you grok it, you're really like, oh yeah, no, I get it. So, you know, you probably used a lot of UI libraries where you, you know, create a new button. You're right in Java, you write new button or new slider or new window and you, you know, create, yeah. you save that handle and you add that button to your window and you save the window handle. Uh, perhaps you mm. save the button handle as well, so you can change the color of the button later on, for instance, or disable it later on. So you, you know, so, mm, so you can yeah. you save the button and say the button dot set enabled false or something like that later on, or set color okay. red later. Yeah. On. Um, and that's because you retain a reference to this button that lives. You know, it can live for several minutes or hours, depending on how long that button is displayed on your screen. Right. In immediate mode, instead you 60 times per second, you run this UI code that says, oh, how, how does your app look right? Look like right now? And the and whoever used the ego library will say, okay, this is how my app looks right now. It looks like a button. It looks like a slider. It looks like a window. And this button looks like it's red right now, or it looks like it's disabled like right now. Uh, and if I ever that button because it changes color, well, that's because something in your application state change color. Maybe the button is red when, um, let's say you make a text input and when the text is too long, you change a button, a label to, to say, oh, input too wrong, too long. It's, and make this text red. And instead of having a callback, like on text change, set tech warning text red or something like that, you can just have your, your state be, um, the text. And then you have a text edit that edits that text, passing the reference to it, you change it. And then you just say, if text.len is greater than 32, ui.colored label red, text is too long, please make it shorter. And you show that text, right? And you don't have any callbacks or anything. You can just check, oh, the text is too long, so show a warning text. And since this will be run 60 times a second. When the text becomes shorter again, yeah, the label will or will not be shown depending on your state. So, so what really is happening under the hood when you say, you know, ui.button in EGUI, like to create a button, is ev everything that a UI would normally do, a EGUI library would normally do, is done instantly within that frame. So it will, uh, eGUI has a layout engine and it will just check, okay, where does the next button go? Okay, here's the coordinates. Uh, is there a, is there, as I said before, is there a mouse cursor above that? If it's above that, yeah, it should have the hovered look to it. So it adds some, you know, hover effect to it. And if it's being clicked, return true from, from the clicked function on it. So the user knew it was clicked. And then uh, eGUI outputs uh, some shape and some text to a draw buffer to be to be painted later, and that's it. There's nothing stored, like th then it moves on. So, so the, the result from adding a button is just a few uh, shapes to be drawn later and the response uh, object, which contains like, was it clicked, was it hovered, and so on. Does that help? Kind of, yeah, because it, it sounds a lot like f the way the Flutter kind of works actually, to a certain extent. I'm not familiar with Flutter, but it's, it's a reactive uh, framework, I assume. Yeah, so it's, there's, I mean, the way it works that I understand is that there's actually different trees of these, there's different trees, right? So the tree mm -hmm. that you usually spend the most of your time with is called a widget tree. And what actually happens is like every single second, your each widget has a build function that returns, you know, more widgets, right? So like a text widget may have a bunch of stuff within it, like, you know, because you may have bold, etc. And then uh, it just kind of traverses all the way down and then goes back up. And then if anything changes, then there's like another thing called like a render tree or an object tree. I forgot which one goes first. And then that one will be updated to kind of match the state. And the idea is that you can just keep building your widget tree and like it's basically stateless in the fact that you can just keep rerunning it over and over and over again. And it, re it resonates a lot with me because when you're t explaining, because like there's this idea where you can say, okay, if you know whatever then like return some kind of state change right so you can say in the background okay if you click this button then set like disabled equal to true and then when it renders then it's going it's going to check to see if anything has changed so if that went to true yeah. then obviously there would be a change that's happening 
So it sounds very similar, but I'm I'm sure it's not the same. There's just some differences. No. But the way I understand it, it sounds very similar. They are they are similar. Reactive UIs are similar to immediate mode, so they they kind of sits in between retain mode and, and immediate mode. And I I must say I'm not an expert in reactive GUIs. Um, should probably something I should learn more about. But as I understand it, it it still keeps um, you know a state of your UI behind the scenes. You don't really see it, uh, so it kind of feels like you're coding more immediately, uh, but it still keeps a state behind the scenes. So it's kind of um, it trying to get like the best of both worlds. It can get the performance of, of uh, retain mode, which can be better than immediate mode. Uh, but like the sweet, like the easiness of, uh, let's say, immediate mode solves kind of two things. One was the, the state that gets um, inconsistent between UI and, and your app state. And that's also solved by the reactive uh, GUI programming. But I think like the, you still have, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you still have like messages and, and callbacks that you need to write, right, in Flutter, or am I wrong there? Yeah, yeah, there's, there's like you have to pass an anonymous function or something to, uh, like every time you see a button clicked, and then within there you'd have this thing called set state, which would then say, yeah. okay, this variable has been changed, and now you need to re-render the whole widget yeah. tree. So you still need to do that. So, so immediate mode removes that callback as well, right? So there's, a, you really say like, if this button was clicked and there's a normal if statement, like, like any rusty if statement, and there's no callback, which means you can reference all your state with no borrowing issues at all. Uh, and that's the big, big step from reactive to immediate. Um, so our reactive kind of try to keep track of like, oh, has something changed? Then we need to render, re-render the UI, but otherwise stop doing that or try not to do that for as long as possible. So in reactive, like when you create a button, there is a button stored and there is a callback being called when that being clicked. But whenever something changes, instead of like removing a button or changing the color of a button, you say, oh, just repaint everything. Uh, and it would just do your re-layout, um, which is so nice because, yeah, you don't get the state problems, but you still have your callbacks. So the, it's kind of like an in-between between classic retain mode, you know, Java Swing, GUI programming, and uh, immediate mode. And uh, I think there's, I think it's a really good progression in GUI programming, React, uh, React and reactive programming. Um, but it's not to quite say the same as immediate. And uh, I think immediate has some benefits and some drawbacks, right? I don't think there's one mode of GUI programming that is the best. I think it's some are best for your purposes and some are worse for your purposes, right? So immediate mode is really good for keeping code very short and simple. Like there's no, as I said, no, no callbacks and so on. But it also has uh, drawbacks, and most most severe draw drawback is layout. So, because everything needs to be painted right away, like when you say UI dot button or UI dot label or whatever, that button is painted right there, right then. It means it's very hard to do complex layouts where you have like uh, several buttons that are centered into a parent layout, because you need to know the sizes of the child to be able to center it in the parent. And uh, if you think about, like, let's like say you have two buttons next to each other, and you need to position those two buttons based on the size of those two buttons together. Well, in the immediate mode, when you make paint the first button, you must need to know where that first button goes right away, immediately. Uh, but if that depends on where or the size of the button coming after it, well, you're screwed because you haven't gotten to that button yet. Now, there, there are some ways to, to solve that, but they're all kind of ugly or ugly-ish hacks around that. You can save the, save the size of the button from the previous frame. You can do a two-pass uh, immediate mode where you like run your UI code twice each frame. That solves some of these problems and so on. But, but fundamentally, layout is harder with immediate mode. Uh, and that's just simply because like in, in retained or reactive mode, you create this tree or your, your widget tree. And then once you've made that widget tree, you do the layout of it. You, know, you figure out where everything goes. 
And once you figure out where everything goes, it's easy to check like, okay, where is the click? But that's why also why you have near callback, right? Because after you do the layout, you first add all your widgets, you do the layout, figure out where they are, you check for a click on it. And now you need to do a callback uh, to, to do that click. But in immediate mode, since there's you don't create a tree and then lay it out, you lay out immediately, that's how you can get away with having no callback. You can just check, was this button clicked while you created the button? So the act of creation is the act of layout at the same time in immediate mode. It just puts those together, which removes the whole need of callbacks. So there's the benefit is a lot shorter, easier code, drawback, uh, worse layouts. So it depends on your, your, uh, like what you prioritize. You prioritize like just creating a GUI quickly because you want a GUI. Then I would go with immediate mode. Uh, I would suggest eGUI if you're coding Rust, of course. If you want something that is really like have nice, flexible layouts and so on, and that it looks more professional and can be more, um, I don't know, yeah, more flexible, then I probably would recommend not using eGUI. Uh, at least not yet. I'm st- I'm I'm working on. Hopefully, I'll be able to work on what's called multi-pass uh, immediate mode later on, where you actually run, as I said before, run your UI code several times, and that can solve some of these layouting things. But for now, it's more like easy to use, but slightly less powerful. And I think that's a worth worth trade-off in many circumstances. Yeah. Okay. I, I can understand a little bit more. It takes me a moment to kind of think about this. Like, cause I know that the way the layouts work with Flutter is that the parent will tell the child, Hey, this is your constraints. And then once you hit the bottom and start going, traversing back up, then the child would say, okay, based on the constraints that you told me, this is my size. This is how you draw mm-hmm. me. And so that's how I can do a very quick one through pass, you know, go up and then go back down and then everything gets drawn. Yep. But with I am GUI, there's basically just one pass down and then you're done. Exactly. So, like, yeah. Yeah. It's it's like straight. There's it's like zero pass. As soon as you like when you create a button, it's um yeah, the parent says the constraints or where it can be, and then the button picks the place right there, right then. It doesn't wait for child widgets. Like more more importantly, perhaps if you have you like if you add a panel into a window and that panel has some sub widgets in in uh Flutter you probably you know add a panel, you add all the ch- child widgets, then the layout pass will return with the sizes of all the child widgets. And so the panel knows its size and how it can position itself based on the size of the children. Uh, but in immediate mode, again, you need to immediately position that panel uh, before you even know how many children is in that panel or what their, their sizes are. Um, now, there, there's some, some hacks or there's some some circumstances, but that doesn't matter. Like if it's a panel that doesn't react to clicks or anything, you can just wait for the children to paint and then you know what to paint that, uh, that panel. Uh, so it's surprisingly often not a problem, but it's still a problem sometimes. Um, so I also see eGUI like an experiment. So dear eGUI, the, the library that inspired it, uh, as I said, it was really created for like dev tools, uh, especially for games. I wanted to see if I could take immediate mode and make it more than just for DevTools, like make something that looks more professional, that feels more professional, that that has you know, better layouts and um, can actually be used for real apps. And uh, so that was my focus from the beginning as well, not to just make this for games, but to yeah, to, to make this like a uh, good candidate for, for web, web apps. Uh, and so I'm really happy that there there are actually companies starting to using eGUI for for uh, for their apps. And uh, but I still see the experiment. Like I, I don't know if this is viable in the long run. I do f- believe it it's going to be viable, but it's new, right? Like this, I really feel like this this is an interesting avenue to explore, and I want to explore it. Yeah, I'm just still trying to wrap my head around. I mean, so that, so that would, no, I, 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 I got a good grasp of, of eGUI, right? And immediate mode, but I'm just thinking like, this would mean that you're unable to resize the window, right? Whatever you put into it, it just gets rendered or, is it, or am I understanding wrong? Because if you try to re, re, re-render the, resize the window, you, that's, it has to be something more reactive, no? No, that's no problem at all. Wrong? Yeah, no, that's no problem at all. In fact, like, um, immediate mode can be very, very dynamic because, uh, since everything is, 
by default rendered, let's say 60 times per second or your display rate. As soon as you resize a window, uh, everything is just repainted. So all the UI code is being run and it says like, oh, the window is different size. Well, adjust my layout and position based on that. So if you go to, to the web demo of eGUI, eGUI.rs, um, you can see like a lot, you can click on windows, you can resize things, you can, uh, everything is very dynamic, uh, very alive. Um, so, so that's not a problem actually. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of, okay, let's see. It's, it's more like when you have complex layout where you have, like where, where you have a drawback is when you have, like say a panel with, uh, with a bunch of buttons in it and you want this, this, uh, the position of the panel to be centered within some larger window or something. And so you need to lay out the buttons within the panel to know how big the panel is. And once you know the big panel is, then you can center it, right? You need to know the size of something to know where to center it. Uh, and when you have a yeah, retained or, or reactive programming um, GUI, you can do this uh, layout pass where you figure out where the size of all the children are, and then you can position the parents based on the size of the children. In immediate mode, you just don't have that because everything is, yeah, again, immediately positioned and placed. Okay. Um, but supposed to be running, yeah. Sorry, as I was saying, if you're supposed to be running 60 seconds, 60 frames per second, how come when I put the demo into continuous on web, I only get 30? Is that a problem of something else? Uh, that's maybe that you just have a 30 hertz monitor then, I guess. So on my 60 hertz monitor, I got 60 hertz. On my 100 hertz monitor, I got 100 hertz. So it, it could also depend on your browser. I don't know. It should, it should be your mm. ref, display refresh rate. Really? Okay. It's, it's good that you brought up, by the way, continuous mode, because um, the eGUI framework, eFrame, by default uses what I call reactive mode, which is not reactive GUI, but it's reactive in that it only repaints when there's new input. And this is just to save CPU. So like if your GUI is static and not showing any difference, it won't be repainting unless you're starting moving your cursor above it, and then it starts repainting. Yeah, I noticed that one. It's really weird, actually. So if I have, if, if I close, oh, not quite. If I make the window smaller, it actually goes up to 60 frames per second. Or at least it did for a moment. What browser are you using? Chrome. Hmm. So if I make yeah. the window smaller, it goes up to 60 frames. But if I make it bigger, wider at least, it goes down to 30. Hmm. Sometimes. Um, not really consistent. I know there's, um, there's some problems with some browsers, uh, especially Firefox on Mac and Linux. They, uh, since I eagerly renders to a WebGL canvas on, on web, mm -hmm. um, yeah. on Firefox, that WebGL canvas is actually, uh, you know, copied from the GPU back to the CPU to do compositioning in the browser, uh, which adds a lot of latency whenever you have like a big WebGL canvas in, in Firefox on, on Mac and Linux. So Firefox has uh, performance issues when you have a huge WebGL canvas like eGUI has. And that's a shame. <laughs> it's hard for me to fix. Uh, and maybe, I don't know, Chrome has a similar problem uh, then I guess. I don't, I don't use Chrome myself. Okay. Uh, but you, I've, I've used Chromium browsers like uh, Brave and it's usually a good, good FPS there. But um, I'm not too sure. Maybe, I, maybe I, file an issue and I'll, <laughs> I'll see if I can fix it later. I'm gonna I'm gonna treat this as the what is what is that word again? It's like um, you hear somebody shouting for help, but then you're like, well, somebody else probably heard that, so I'm just gonna you know mm. walk, walk away. Mm. That's a, that's a there's, interesting. There's, there's a word for that. Yeah, yeah, there's a word for that. No, I I, I know I I don't even know how to even 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 describe that issue. Maybe I feel like maybe it's my browser, or maybe it's or maybe it's my window. Yeah, I don't know. It's really weird. Mm. I can try to describe it for you, but um, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it would be, so you have a couple of different themes, right? You can't make your own theme yet, right? Yes, you can. So, you can. yeah. So there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of users who just change the theme of eGUI radically, make it look very different. So in the eGUI, eGUI.rs webpage, if you go into the, let's see the backend panel, there is a settings thing there, then you can go in and just change the style of everything it changes text size, text color, all the, how rounded the corners are, all the colors everywhere and so on. So you can actually change the look of it uh, quite detailed. 
Uh, but by default, I just ship a light and dark mode, which looks similar to each other, just light and dark. So, but you imagine this one is 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 actually more for development, or it could actually be for kind of client side apps. It kind of depends on you, right? If you want people to see this kind of style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's for for dev apps, like for dev for dev tools. I think Igui is kind of a a much better choice than uh, than other non-immediate mode libraries because it's so much easier to just write something. Like you get productive much quicker. Now, it may not look as good, but that doesn't really matter for dev tools normally, right? But I think also for, for a lot of um, type of applications, uh, especially interactive applications, we do you know, a lot of 3D things. Like I, I know there's a company doing a CAD tool, professional CAD tool using Igui. And... Uh, for those sort of things, I think it fits really well as well. Um, like when you have a lot of dynamic, dynamicism, I think things move. And so you still re-render the everything six times per second. You still want 3D things. So you still want a WebGL canvas and so on. I think Igui is a really good fit. And um, so I'm actually going to be using Igui for my own company. So I, me and, my, me and two friends of mine co-founded a company uh, last month called rerun.io. And we're going to be doing 3D and 2D visualization as a dev tool for people working in computer vision and uh, different perception-heavy things like robotics and machine learning and so on, where you need to visualize things easily. Um, and so that, that's the idea of our company. Like, like you like you would log text in your application, but now you can log images and point clouds and depth uh, images and meshes and so on. And uh, that will then show up in a in a web viewer uh, code in the made in Igui. Um, so that's yeah we we the three of us work with like three D uh, scanning before. And so we built these like in-house dev tools before where it's really useful to be able to visualize things quickly. And we, back then we were coded in C++ and so we used Theorem GUI. But we, we think this could be really a product for a lot of companies. So uh, we want to create a tool that yeah, any de developer working in this field could easily use to visualize things. And we want this to be powered by Rust and uh, we're going to build it with eGUI as well. Uh, and so... Yeah, I think it's going to be a well. It's going to be an interesting, <laughs> interesting experience because I need to be do. I'm going to be doing a lot of dog fooding, like using Igui uh, and like putting my money where my mouth is, saying like, "Yeah, Igui is great," and now I'm going to actually build a company on it. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a good fit because like productivity, developer productivity is is very important, right? Uh, and that's why I think like building a GUI library that is easy to use is actually really, really important. So that's why we're going to, yeah, that's one of the reasons we're going to use it at Rerun. Um, it's also like, yeah, I think it's worth um, talking about as well, like starting a company that uses Rust. Because uh, I worked at two companies now where that have been Rust jobs, uh, my previous two uh, jobs. Uh, one place called Distill Networks and the one uh, Embark Game Studios. And we were using Rust for, for everything. And um, there's so many benefits to using Rust compared to C++. Now, of course, you know, I mean, <laughs> you, you run a Rust podcast. I don't need to tell you why Rust is great. But there, there are so many things, subtle things that people I don't think appreciate. Uh, one of the things is like if you have a lot of uh, programmers who are not so experienced, using Rust is great because you have all these safeguards, right? You it's very hard to create a seg fault compared to C++. So that's a huge benefit. But hiring is also a huge benefit. Like if you say you're hiring Rust developers, you're going to find some really good developers. Um, that's my experience uh, working at the, the other Rust companies because yeah, you, there's a lot of people using C or C++ at work who wish they would be using Rust and would jump ship to another company if they could just work with Rust. I've done that. I know a lot of people have done that who are just willing to jump to another company, probably take a cut in salary as well, just to be able to, to work with their favorite programming language. Uh, and the, those kind of people who really love Rust are also usually very good programmers, uh, in my experience. Like, 
Rust has a Rust is difficult to learn, right? But it also means that Rust developers, on average, I think, are a lot like a really good programmers. So I see it as a benefit to our to to our company to be using Rust. Now we haven't started hiring yet, so maybe I'll <laughs> shut shut up when I when I start struggling with that. But uh, that's my hope anyway. Well, the other thing I would say too, as somebody who actually does hiring, um, I kind of think it's better to choose one of these niche languages because the pool is smaller, because it's similar to what, it's really similar uh, thinking as what you're talking about. But for me, it's like, there's so many people who just say, okay, what's the hottest language right now? Because I want to get a job, right? Okay, PHP, mm-hmm. Java, JavaScript, something like that. If you say Rust, like in, in comparison, it's so small. So like the people who actually focus on Rust or these other kind of niche languages care a lot about, you know, working in the right language that they think is right for them. And they're actually going to care about actually to learn the language as opposed to people who just choose a language just so they can get a job. They're just going to learn enough that they can kind of get through and then make money. Yeah. And you know, that, that, that's been my experience is that people are like that. It's, and that's, that's fine. That's the way that they work. But as somebody who's hiring, I mean, that's not what I want. I don't want somebody who's just going to choose a language because it's easy for them to find a job. Like you want to find somebody who actually cares what the hell they're doing, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that's a great point. Um, it's, I think it, it's also kind of ironic because I've heard, heard from C++ programmers that say that Rust is difficult. And uh, it's, well, I mean, I was a C++ programmer. I was using C++ primarily for 15 years and I loved C++. I think it's a, still think it's a great language, but it's extremely big language. It's extremely complicated and complex. Uh, the only thing is you have to keep that complexity in your own head instead of having a compiler telling you when you're doing something wrong. So like you, like a lot of people have made this point before me, but you know, C++ have lifetime issues as well. It just doesn't tell you about them. You just need to keep them in your head uh, while Rust like does that bookkeeping for you. So I think once you start realizing that the borrow checker is your friend, Rust is actually an easier language than C++. Um, but yeah, that, that's my tangent. Uh, <laughs> um, I, yeah. I, th- I think, yeah, I don't know where I was going though. <laughs> are, are you really ready to to bet your company on the stuff you're working on? And you, re- you have that much confidence in it? Or are you kind of just like, well, maybe I'll, it'll harden up the proc a bit? Or what kind of, what's your thought process about this? Well, first of all, bet- betting on Rust, I don't think is a, is a bet at all. I, I, Rust is going to eat C++ launch eventually. Like C++ has a lot of baggage and like, not, well, a lot of legacy that's going to take a while and so on. But uh, you're talking about ego, I assume. And uh, yeah, I, we're going to, you know, ego is going to be the front end part of it. And I think having an in-house tool like ego is always a benefit. Like I, whenever I worked, like if, if we can build it in-house, usually I find it's better or have something that we have control of in-house because the speed that you can iterate and work on that thing is so much higher. So using ego for, for me, I think it's, it's great because like I created it, right? So whenever I find a pain point, I can fix it. Now there's gonna come places where I go wanna go, oh shit, why did I design it like that? That was a bad idea. And that happens, you know, quite often. Like and yeah, then then I'll yeah, then I'll fix it, right? But that's also gonna benefit everyone, everyone, uh, every other ego user as well. Um, but also I'm gonna benefit from everyone making pull requests to ego. So ego is actually really like has a booming developer um, contribution list, right? We have over a hundred people contributing to it. And so I get the benefits from everyone else as well. So for me, I think it's just a good good bet to use Egui for for uh, for uh, our tools. Um, but yeah, time will tell, right? Uh, maybe we're wrong. I would say it's a pretty positive attitude, but like, I, I'm just thinking like, when you make your own thing, you don't think it's that great. When you use somebody else's, mm-hmm. you usually put a higher, like, okay, this is pretty decent, right? Especially if you see a lot of people like, you know, when you know how it's made, right? The digital like yeah. glue and, and popsicle sticks putting it together. And it's just like, wow, I can't believe people actually find this thing useful. You know, it's just this and this and this. Yeah, I mean that that that's my only meaning. It's like no way to say that Igui is not good, but it's just like No, 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 you're not you're not wrong. You make it your, you make it yourself. <laughs> it's just like this isn't this is not that great, guys. Come on. It's just this and this and you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, I I've seen yeah, exactly. I've seen the sausage factory. Yeah. And uh, 
you're not wrong, but IOC, you know, that's what I love about open source as well. You can look at the source code of basically any Rust library out there, uh, which is super good. And you realize, well, it's, it's all built by people like me, right? Um, and uh, some of them are really clean and some of them are kind of messy, right? Um, and I, I don't think, I think it's a mistake to think that you cannot build things as good as others. Like I see a lot of people have that attitude like, no, let's not invent it here. Let's let's use it, use someone else's tool instead. They just assume it's going to be better because they just look at the API, right? You just look at the API and you don't look at the source code behind it and you just assume that everything below the API is super well thought out and it's, you know, <laughs> all, all rainbows and sh- sunshine underneath. Uh, but on your own project, you know, as you said, like how messy it is underneath. But truth is, everything is messy in our industry. Like all the source code is messy. Uh, that's the dirty secrets of, of our industry, right? We have pretty interfaces with messy undersides, underbellies. Um, so for me, it's more like the more, more important part is having something that is flexible, something that you can change quickly, something that you have control over. That's for me is a more motivating uh, thing. So I, wherever, wherever I work, I always struggle. Like I've pushed for having in-house tools and so on uh, because it's just more productive. Yeah, for me, I, I have a hard time to to do that, to put that, like I was in a team where we actually had like the, the manager actually wrote like the Mongo database driver. Mm-hmm. There was always a problem with it. So that's why I was like, well, why the hell are we using this? And like, okay, sure, it's nice yeah. to have the guy on here, but the problem is that this guy doesn't really know what he's doing and I have no idea why the hell he wrote his own driver. Like, I'm sure somebody wrote a driver in Java for MongoDB, so why the hell do we have to use his? Yeah. <laughs> it's always a no. problem. Well, I'm also, also always going to protect against that, right? Um, so, like, I'm going to use eGUI for the GUI, but everything else is going to be different, right? Like, I'm not going to use eGUI for any... I'm, I'm going to use someone else's library for doing 3D visualization, for instance. I'm not going to build that from scratch. I'm not... You know, I'm not going to build a transport layer from scratch and so on. I'm not saying like everything should be built from scratch. And I can really see myself like maybe two years down the road, we're going to swap out eGUI for, for let's say iced or something else because it's matured quicker because they've put more time into it or something like that. That could very well happen. Uh, but I don't think that's a big problem as long as you prepare for that. Like, yeah, yeah this, this component of a product may change in the future. Uh, that, that again, like, I think one of the most important things as we can do as developers is make write code that is easy to change, code that is easy to refactor. So you never feel like you're you know, locked into one library or something. And that goes for your own libraries as well. So um, right now, I think Ego is a good bet for us because it runs web, it runs natively, uh, and you know it's I, I have the flexibility to change it. Um, and it supports the things I want. And if I don't, it doesn't, I just add the support for it. Uh, but yeah, time will tell. Um, so far, I've been w- working eagerly on and off for, well, almost three years. I really started it, started working on it a lot uh, during the pandemic. It was my kind of pandemic project, right? Um, so I, I put a lot of time into it. And I now that I actually have my own company, I'm going to be using it. I'm hopefully going to be able to put in more time into it. Uh, and so hopefully this is going to be a very exciting year for Igui, but it's going to, you know, change a lot and improve a lot. Uh, that's, that's my hope at least. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to play. Um, it seems really easy compared to other ones out there. So I think if I were, like you said, if I were to slap together like a GUI for some rusting I created, I think that would be on my list. Uh, I'm also pretty quite attracted to, was it TUI or something like that? Not Tari, but like T-U-I, is that what it's mm-hmm. called? Yeah, that's but that's more console based one, but that's still quite attractive what you can do with it. Yeah, yeah, it's like a terminal UI. I think that's what it stands for. Is that what the T stands for? That makes sense. Uh, I, feel like a, I, feel like a, <laughs> I feel like a complete dummy right now, but that <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that approach as well. Like minimalistic UIs is so much yeah. nicer than just you know CLI. Anything you can click is an improvement. I think. Yeah, I just think that um, if I try to give this to a client, they wouldn't be very happy. Because it's not super attractive, and you can't do like very interesting UIs, like you said. But um, I think you know if you're not picky, it, it's it's totally fine. And I think I like how small it, the code can be. 
Uh, so yeah, that's yeah, definitely quite interesting. And I, I like that you interface with a lot of different other ones too. You have a whole bunch of other places that you can interact with, right? Like Godot, like basically all like the big ones, right? Godot, Bevy. Um, yeah, you, I mean, you hit up a lot of stuff. There, what is the other one I think I saw in here? I think there's also GTK in here or something too, I thought. Well, maybe not. Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, GDZ, uh, STL2, WebGPU, Ash, Volcano, like all those rendering libraries as well. Yeah, all the game libra- all the game engines, uh, MiniQuad, MacroQuad. Um, it's also really nice minimalistic game engines. Um, yeah, that's that's the thing. Like Ego is built to be easy to integrate into other game engines or to any platform, basically. So mm-hmm. that's why it's been yeah very popular in in so many game engines. And uh, so if you follow the uh, game Rust game dev, you see. Yeah, a lot of people using eGUI for, especially like dev tools in their games. But some some games are actually using eGUI for for their GUI as well, like the the, the players facing GUI with you know modified uh, visuals, you know, with their custom theming and so on. And yeah, it can be made can be made to be look really good. And as for the layout things, you can actually use eGUI as well by manually placing things. Like you can place things, put the button here, like on this particular pixel coordinate and this particular size and so on. Which means if you really want full control over the layout, you can just do the layout manually yourself and just um, make it as pretty as you want. So immediate mode can actually be like a layer underneath uh, another, you know, or a reactive or a retained mode paradigm as well, if you want to. Okay. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, now I just have to play. I got to find time to play. So it's on my list of lots, never ending list of things to play with. Yeah, I hear you. I'm sure I think I'm not the only one. Um, yeah, is there anything else? Like, is there something up that's coming up near uh, for the timeline of eGUI in terms of new features coming out or anything like that? Well, we just released uh, 0.17. Um, I think one of the things I'm working on right now is uh, to easily integrate 3D visualization into the eGUI uh, framework. Uh, so the eGUI framework is called eFrame. So that's like a framework for putting eGUI into your web browser or into your, into your desktop app and so on. So I'm working now on to make it very easy to integrate your own 3D visualizations into that. That's been an often requested feature. But more importantly, I need it now for my company. So that's why I'm working on that. Uh, beyond that, I hopefully be able to work on multi-pass uh, GUI sometime this spring. But, you know, that's been something I've been wanting to do for a long time, but just hasn't, haven't been find, finding the time to do. But that would really create very much nicer layouting in eGUI, which I think would be a, a, like a game changer to make it more, uh, feeling less janky, feel more robust, and just make it look, look much nicer. So I really hope to be able to get to that this uh, spring. But otherwise, um, yeah, no, just follow me on, on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> at Anerfeld, oh my god yeah that's the worst twitter handle i just realized for a podcast because my my surname is impossible to to spell um but yeah just go to egoi.rs and click click to my github and then you'll find my my uh, twitter handle there i think that's the best place to to follow me okay yeah we can see if we can pop your your twitter handle in and maybe just drop it to me after the show and i'll put it into the notes yeah well uh that's probably where I'm going to spend. My, there's also a, a, an eGUI Discord uh, that's linked from the GitHub where, uh, where I hang out sometimes and you can talk about the eGUI and so on. Okay. Is there anything else you wanted to, to say before we sign off? Uh, no. I, thank you for uh, for this interview. It was really, really fun. Yeah. I appreciate you reaching out and saying, hey, you, you never reached out to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I need to pay more attention to, to Reddit messages, apparently. For my um, Reddit, I have one unread message that I cannot find. I literally checked every single conversation, and I still have one unread Reddit, one unread message <laughs> somewhere, and I have no idea why. Still, uh, uh, I'm I'm glad this happened. I'm actually extremely disorganized person, so <laughs> like I'll I'll drop I'll, I'll forget about an email all the time as well because I'm not not that kind of person. I'm I'm a good programmer and basically nothing else. Uh, so I'm really happy that we managed to to get this together. And uh, thank you for doing the podcast. Uh, keep doing it. I'll try. It's uh, it's getting tough sometimes, right? Like for your podcast, I apologize. I'm not as organized as I am for most most others. Not all of them, for most others. 
and uh you know i'm happy that you can make it on and uh yeah if there's anybody else who wants to come on i'm definitely open just uh let me know and i'll drop you a schedule link you can come on and uh maybe I, it would be kind of interesting to have like a round table i think of all the gooey people out there you know slint igui uh maybe we're more the pure rust ones rather than like the dear i'm gooey and just kind of like talk about like okay this is what how mine works and this is why i think this is better this is why or in these situations it's better and then like you know kind of exchange ideas right i mean it must be some commonality there somewhere yeah yeah i think so sure sure i think uh, of all the pure rust libraries i think iced is the biggest one so you should probably reach out to them yeah i definitely will i, I didn't even know about ice until now i think actually until you, you told me about it okay yep i have a standing desk i know it's just distracting right <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting sitting for like eight hours so i uh, had to stand up for a second yeah yeah um again thanks for for coming on um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I appreciate, you know, we got a rough start in the beginning because of mic issues, but I'm happy that we sorted it all yeah. out. So, yeah, sorry about that. Sorry for making it run late because of uh, bad mic. I hope you can get home and get some sleep tonight. <laughs> it's late now. Yeah, it's about 1030 over here, but not too bad. So, all right. Yeah, Thanks for stopping by and uh, maybe I'll have you back when yeah. we hear about your dog food experience and how you maybe you switched from dog food to people food <laughs> after that. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. Nice, nice seeing you. Take care. Okay. Thank you.